Welcome to Fringe with Benefits, aka The Stacey's Show, where we talk about everything strange from the paranormal to conspiracy theories to conspiracy fact. Where the content isn't dictated by a production crew, a network, or advertisers. We can talk about anything and everything, at least until I get banned, knock on wood. Either way, Stacy's your favorite TV survivalist. If not, you're just your favorite all-around lady. I'm here to bring you the fringe topics, and once again, and every week, I come to you to scramble your brain on all things anomalous, peculiar, weird, and abnormal. Stacy's socials this week. All over the map. A little bit of drama. A little bit of intrigue. A little bit of conflict. It's been interesting. First, I want to talk about that creepy video of the teacher prodding those little kids to sing, I wear a mask to school. I wear a mask to school. Farmer in the Dell. It was turned into a weapon of propaganda, this article says, by a preschool teacher when she changed the words. And you watch this video, these kids do not look like they want to be singing that. They're, they look like they're being suffocated, and it, it's a sick, weird video. And it's pretty disturbing, so it made the rounds. The teacher was singing about how masks keep us safe and trying to entice these toddlers to sing along. And it was first posted on TikTok. There's no indication of where or when it happened. And, you know, I, I don't know who posted it, but it's just pretty fucking awful. And it's a great example of how our kids are being taught to live in fear. And it's evil to brainwash kids to believe that this mask will keep them safe. The lyrics to this song that this woman was forcing these poor little babies to sing with a mask on in which you're increasing your breathing and your oxygen intake. Have you tried to speak or sing in front of with cloth on your face? Have you done that? It's a lot more difficult, right? The lyrics go, I wear a mask to school. I wear a mask to school. Hi ho, the Dario. I wear a mask to school. It helps to keep me safe. It helps to keep... It helps to keep hi-ho the Dario. It helps to keep me safe. It keeps my friends safe. It keeps my friends safe. Hi-ho the Dario. It keeps my friends safe. What the fuck is that? Give me a, give me a break. I just, I just, I can't with people. Like, we do not live on this earth to keep safe. We all have an ultimate ending. And we don't lie to our kids. The worst thing you can do is to lead people to believe something that is false. Next, Biden's attorney general threatens he'll use the FBI as a tool to intimidate and silence parents who disagree with school boards. Joe Biden doesn't have a clear mandate, it says. The U.S. Senate majority relies on Harris for a tiebreaker. Democrats barely have a majority on the House. Democrats, but are using their slim majority to steamroll people with radical $3.5 trillion bills that include benefits for aliens. His Build Back Better agenda has little to do with infrastructure and everything to do with implementing an ideology that is anti-freedom, anti-religion, anti-privacy. A failed Supreme Court nominee turned Barack Obama's Attorney General Merrick Garland sent a note to warn parents he'll be planting federal law enforcement agencies, FBI, and communities around America to cool the dissent against the school boards or school administrators. 
This letter was prompted by the National School Board Association who called on the administration to take action against unruly parents who keep showing up at school board meetings. The DOJ, under Attorney General Merrick Garland, has taken up the case against parents, and they are encouraging the administration, the school board association, is encouraging the administration to classify the actions of concerned parents as equivalent to a form of domestic terrorism and hate crimes. This letter by the National School Board Association cites incidents of parents who, they're coming to the school board meetings, they're upset, they're taking a lot of their time, there's a lot of yelling, and a lot of people are just pretty freaking upset about Not only is there porn in the schools, there's pedophilia being shown to our kids. They're being asked to do assignments that have things, stuff to do with sexuality and grooming. They're teaching critical race theory and they're covering their faces. There's all these reasons for parents to go to the school board and demand local change. The National School Board Association is calling the cops, basically, the FBI cops on these people, saying that, quote, as these acts of malice, violence, and threats against public school officials have increased, the classification of these heinous actions would be equivalent to the form of domestic terrorism and hate crime. I have never once seen these people being threatened with anything other than to lose their position on the school board. I have never seen anybody be attacked It's all been diplomatic and through verbal discussion. And I think they're pushing that a little too far. They continue to go and say they request a joint expedited review by the U.S. Department of Justice, Education, and Homeland Security, along with appropriate training, coordination, investigations, enforcement mechanisms from the FBI, including any technical assistance necessary from and or state and local coordination with its National Security Branch and Counterterrorism Division, as well as any other federal agency with relevant jurisdictional authorities and oversight. Garland's DOJ, which has stated a primary concern is domestic extremism, that the FBI and the U.S. Attorney's offices will meet during the next month with law enforcement leaders across the country to discuss strategies for addressing this disturbing trend. So they're going to start profiling parents that attend school board meetings is basically what's going on. They continue to say, or Garland, our lovely Attorney General there, Threats against public servants are not only illegal, they run counter to our nation's core values. Those who dedicate their time and energy to ensuring that our children receive proper education in a safe environment deserve to be able to do their work without fear for their safety. They're not at fear for their safety, they're at fear for their jobs. The words public servant, which means they are servants to us, the public, the taxpayers, the people who have their children in their schools. And their job is to keep our kids safe with a proper education. They are neither safe nor getting a proper education. Now, this is an interesting little drama that went on, I guess, Arizona Democratic Senator Kirsten Sinema. She was at a campus, um, Arizona State University. A social justice group, Living United for Change in Arizona, uploaded a video of these activists harassing this lady in the classroom where she was lecturing, confronting her in the classroom. People were actually attending class. This group of activists, including one guy, followed her down the hall and into the bathroom, continued to harass her while she was in the stall going to the bathroom while filming the whole thing. 
They were demanding that they were saying that because she stood opposed to Biden's and the Congressional Democrats' massive $3.5 trillion reconciliation bill, they were seemingly unaware that the parliamentarian already ruled twice that the immigration legislation should not be added to the reconciliation bill. That's all she's saying. Americans on the right and the left condemned the tactics of the activists who bullied her in the bathroom, and they believe they violated her personal privacy and legal protections afforded. And there were other women in the bathroom, too. The left-wing feminist website Jezebel, which I've never heard of before, but we're going to learn about it, was not one of those who criticized the social justice warriors' boorish behavior. Instead, they ran a piece applauding the bullies who went after the female lawmaker. Rather than defend the lawmaker and call out the harassment, Ashley Reese, who wrote the piece, absolutely bully Kristen Cinema out of her bathroom stall. Well, she's got a right to write the piece, and she's got a right to say whatever she wants to say. So if it is in her opinion, even though she's a big influencer and activist, if it's in her opinion that what they did was the right thing, then she has a right to say it by all means. But at the same time, it shows a, a, a certain way of thinking that exhibits no respect or nor any, any real manners. Supposedly, Fox News published a headline saying that this lawmaker was being stalked. Anyways, this the author of this article continued to justify these attacks. The writer never acknowledged that the woman had already ruled more than once that the plan was for out of bounds for the yet-to-be-written reconciliation pa- package. So basically, they called this lady out on the stuff that she didn't like, and I really don't see a huge problem with that besides the fact she was followed into the bathroom but I don't see any of these parents following the school board members into the bathroom. The lady said that well not the lady that was accosted in the bathroom but the woman who writes for the feminist website says maybe it's easier to act like a public bathroom is a sacred place than criticize the fact that Sinema decided to hide from her voters like a coward. Haven't seen the video I don't know what do you think have you seen it? It seems to be pretty big news because that was what I was scrolling and seeing. Also, there are several Supreme Court cases that are up for rulings, and I wanted to share those with you. We've got Dobbs versus Jackson, the Women's Health Organization. This is the biggest important abortion case over the last 30 years. Possibly the Supreme Court will possibly reconsider and possibly overrule the Roe versus Wade precedent. That's pretty huge news. But they're also, the, the other side of the coin is if this does rule in Roe versus Wade's favor, it would be upholding the lower court's decisions and reaffirming the Roe versus Wade case and Planned Parenthood versus Casey. This would be a huge blow to those that are pro-life versus pro-choice. So this is going to be a big deal, and no wonder abortion is such a hot topic right now. <laughs> New York State Rifle Pistol and Association versus Bruin. This is the first time in 11 years that the Supreme Court are going to review a significant Second Amendment case. New York requires its residents to obtain a license for lawful possession of a firearm. Whether they keep it at home or take it outside. To obtain a license, an officer must determine whether the applicant is of good moral character, lacks a history of crime or mental illness, and that no good cause exists for the denial of his license. Anybody who has lived life knows that, I mean, geez, anything can totally affect that. 
Applicants must also have proper cause to lawfully conceal and carry handgun, which I would say is pretty much a violation of our Second Amendment right, right there. New York law leaves proper cause undefined. Courts have clarified that this standard means one must, quote, demonstrate a special need for self-protection distinguishable from that of the general community or persons engaged in the same profession. So these people want to have a generalized, they have a generalized desire to conceal carry and it does not constitute proper cause. The petitioners on this case are Robert Nash and Brendan Koch. They were denied a license to carry a handgun in public despite including their applications for desire for self-defense, and they have extensive safety training. The licensing officers determined they had failed to show proper cause because they did not demonstrate a special need for self-defense that distinguished themselves from the general public. It is up for review, so keep an eye out for that. Carson versus Macon. The Carson and Nelson families are challenging Maine's prohibition of applying state funds from the state's tuition assistant program towards secondary schools that, in addition to teaching academic subjects, provide religious instructions. Petitioners argue that this law prevented their families from using the funds towards the schools they considered to be best for their kids, and more importantly, it violates their constitutional rights under the Free Exercise Establishment and Equal Protection Clauses. As far as now, so long that the school is nominally religious, it cannot be excluded, but if it promotes religion, a state can exclude it from receiving funds on that basis. This issue is before the Supreme Court, whether a state violates the First or Fourteenth Amendments by prohibiting students from choosing to use student aid funds towards schools that provide religious instruction. Then we have CVS Pharmacy Inc. versus Doe. This case raises the issue of whether policies that impact disabled groups violate the anti-discrimination provisions of the Rehabilitation Act and the Patient Protection and Affordable Care Act. I know this stuff seems really boring, but these are cases that we want to watch because we really want to observe what our Supreme Court is doing. United States versus Zubadia. This guy is a former associate of Osama bin Laden who was detained in Pakistan by the CIA for being an enemy combatant and put in a detention facility in Poland. During his time there, the CIA used enhanced interrogation techniques on him. Poland launched a criminal investigation into the CIA's operations there and Zubada, Zubaida, asked a federal district court to order the U.S. government to provide Poland with information pertaining to his detention. They were initially willing to grant discovery for these materials until the U.S. government blocked it, citing the state secrets privilege established in the United States versus Reynolds. This is important. They need to be able to get that discovery. The U.S. Court of Appeals for the Ninth Circus reversed and remanded the decision, arguing that the lower court could allow limited discovery because some of the materials would not threaten national security interests. In the, in the name of national security, do they get away with all the corrupt bullshit that they get away with? Well, the issue before the Supreme Court is whether the Ninth Circus erred in its assessment of these materials concerning their potential to harm national security. There are only a few of the cases that the Supreme Court will consider this term, and it will also consider important death penalty cases, including the one involving the Boston Marathon bomber, another one involving inmates' access to a spiritual advisor during the execution process, as well as a host of other important cases. I don't know how important all those cases are, but we've got a lot of things going on, and I really wish court 
wouldn't take that long. So those are all really important things going on in our current events. The next thing would be public officials are being silent about allegations of Nazi-level experiments at the University of Pittsburgh. We've talked about the University of Pittsburgh before and this whole weird abortion, baby body parts uh, dealing so they can do all kinds of chimeric re research uh, as well as gain-of-function research and all kinds of really creepy, just like they said, Nazi-level experiments. A hundred members of Congress asked the Biden administration for details on the university's federally funded research on the aborted babies in a recent letter. Dr. Rana Jer Euro, an OBGYN who supports abortion, has raised significant concern over unethical treatment of aborted babies at Pittsburgh. We're talking about pro-choice doctors concerned about the level of operations there. And it's not just because, you know, they take specialized body parts, but they also take them in a certain way. It's when they're alive. Have the pregnant mothers induced so they could take the babies straight from the womb and remove their body parts while they're still alive. And that's what we're going to talk about because it's fucked up. Last year, it was revealed Pittsburgh's been engaging in experiments, scalping babies and grafting their scalps onto lab rats. They proudly published pictures of the scalps graf grafted on the back of these rodents. It's all federally funded through grants through the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases, run by guess who? The Fouchmaster. Thanks to a Freedom of Information Act request made by the Center of Medical Progress, we see in the application for federal funding, your tax dollars, that they're obtaining babies who have been killed and harvested through an elective abortions. That's what I mean by specialized. They will set racial quotas and have preference and pay more for particular parts. The university... Claims that this is explained by the experiments aiming to study kidney disease and that kidney disease greatly impacts minority populations, above all other things. There's evidence that labor is being induced and uh, the delivery occurring in such a manner that the babies can still be alive when the harvesting occurs, their application discusses $3 million to significantly ramp up its collections of fetal tissue. And we're talking about children that are still alive when they're taking them. I mean, it's one thing to do stem cell research or to use stem cells that were from a child that passed away, but to actually end the life of a viable organism just to get its tissues just seems really unethical to me. I don't know about you. There have been statements about Pittsburgh attempting to distance the university from its connection to these things, that it doesn't actually perform the procedures and it's not a part of the tissue collection process, but no, they use taxpayer money to purchase them from these dealers, basically. But they say it's hard to make this claim when the Pittsburgh Biospecimen Corps, the tissue bank that serves as the link between the mothers who consent to have the baby experimented on and the university containing the tissue, is funded and operated in part by their school of medicine, UPMC McGee Women's Hospital. McGee performs on average 
500 abortions annually, according to recent records with the Department of Health. And part of their stated mission, their mission statement, is that of the University of Pittsburgh is to cooperate with governmental institutions to transfer knowledge. So they should be as transparent as, I mean, their funding allows, right? Next is the Biden administration reversed a Trump ban abortion, a Trump ban on abortion. Under Trump, any facilities that were dealing fetal tissue or providing abortions were not entitled to, so they were still allowed to operate, but they were not entitled to Title X federal funding, so they wouldn't be funded federally. The taxpayers, that was what he was doing for the taxpayers, because a lot of taxpayers do not want our taxpayer money going towards the killing or termination of pregnancies. So Title X federal funding and taxpayer-funded research, such as pregnancy tests, birth control, and testing for sexually transmitted diseases, had to be physically and financially separate from facilities that perform abortions. Seems legitimate, right? Uh, 2019 policy had also stopped centers from referring people directly to clinics to get one, Planned Parenthood chose to leave the program because of it. And beginning November 8th, under Biden's new rule, taxpayers will be funding these facilities that proudly do this as a main business. Now, I've always been pro-choice, but the more I find out that there's really big business behind basically peddling baby body parts, which is illegal, federally illegal, How are they able to do this? And then it's funded by the government money. It's like the CIA using taxpayer money to conduct illegal operations or the FBI for that matter. I mean, how would you feel if your local FBI guy was dealing drugs on the side or trafficking little kids and young women and young boys? It's, it's that kind of concepts. And so now that I look at it, I see it as something bigger than just the one woman that doesn't want to be pregnant. The last thing is this really weird, <laughs> that I, like somebody said that this was coming and I wasn't sure that I'd actually see the day, but UN Women announced in July 2019 it would focus on equality of all genders, right? Instead of solely women's rights. One of many organizations is taking up the cause of non-biological women's rights to claim womanhood, much to the fear of lots of women's rights groups. The organization went a step further and in a document called the 12 Small Actions with Big Impact for Generations Equality, the organization says, quote, Terms such as male or female and women or men exclude non-binary and intersex people who don't fall into any of these categories. Everyday language plays a huge role in breaking gender stereotypes and rejecting the binary of male and female. Instead of using phrases like ladies and gentlemen or boys and girls, swapping for gender neutral terms like folks, children, or y'all. Radical feminist Shula Smith Firestone articulated and advocated for decades ago, as have her philosophical descendants. Okay, so they want to use terms like folks, children, or y'all instead of boys and girls, ladies and gentlemen, male and female. Because it's, it's, I don't understand this. Anyways, radical feminist. She says that the end goal of feminist revolution must be not just the elimination of male privilege, but the sex distinction itself. So what about 
the dichotomy of our entire world. I mean, what about the complementing forces? The opposites. Fireson said that non-binary cause advances the genital differences between human beings would no longer matter culturally. She means that it would not matter at all for any reason, socially or legally, the person was male or female. In fact, it may be illegal to distinguish between the two, and perhaps we're not quite to that point in our society yet. The House Armed Services Committee's vote to require women to register for the draft in the name of gender equality. This is really huge, that women will be drafted. And a lot of people are saying that the tyranny of the biological family would be broken. So they do want to destroy the family. As it's becoming ever more apparent, the goal of the sexual revolution and all its manifestations, including transgender policies that obliterate physical sex, is to break and destroy the family. The UN has its own Universal Declaration of Human Rights that says, The family is the natural and fundamental group unit of society and is entitled to protection by society and the state. So that's kind of hypocritical for the UN women to announce that we are no longer going to use any binary terms anymore and that it's not going to be acceptable to use them based on philosophy from one of the most radical people, Firestone. I'm definitely going to have to look this woman up, but it just seems, wouldn't you imagine that the Universal Declaration of Human Rights would trump the document 12 Small Actions with Big Impact for Generation Equality. Okay, so in a brave new world, the reason why I brought that up is because just getting rid of the, the word woman or the wood man, word man or getting rid of, you know, the male-female dichotomy, it rings really familiar because in a book by Aldous Huxley called A Brave New World, a sci-fi novel, like a sci-fi horror novel, really, the family words like mother and father were viewed as obscene. According to Cliff Notes, this is what they say. People are not born, they are decanted in hatcheries and medically and psychologically manipulated so that they just have the right intelligence, strength, and attractiveness to fill the social and economic positions that will need to be filled. This is like true utilitarianism, eugenics, very weird. These decanted children are raised and indoctrinated in conditioning centers so that by the time they are old enough to work, their only ambitions are to perform the tasks for the positions they were raised to fill. Their loyalty is to the state and to continued community and stability. Family and its language are obsolete concepts. But it's more sinister than simple obsolescence. The world state maintains stability by obliterating the individual personality. People of the same caste are largely identical by design. Very few personality traits are left to chance, and people are encouraged through promiscuity not to form strong bonds with other individuals. There is no stronger bond than family, and family is a major factor in self-identification. And what better way to eliminate family than to make it a dirty word? So in the Brave New World, we see a reversed form of what we know today. People are raised to think the language of sexual promiscuity is normal and expected and accepted, while the language of the family is obscene. This manipulation of the language is just another way that the world state controls citizens and maintains stability. 
The manipulation of the language is another way the state controls citizens and maintains stability. That's nuts to me. And I was going to talk about for the to end Stacy's socials was the text with a friend that I block I had already blocked on Facebook. She started sending me texts. They got crazy. She was like, why do you think the way that you think? And you need to stop that. You need to stop that because you're influencing people. And like, whoa, you know, let's address intolerance. Let's address harassment. Let's address closed-mindedness. I think we could really, really dive into those topics. The accountability segment. Real quick from last week, Lewis Ewing's story was all over the place. If you're paying attention and you remember the story about the constitutional attorney that ended up in the hospital who was, he was like, you know, in front of the death panel, if you know what I'm talking about. And so that story that was all over the place, his bar associations is totally convoluted and confusing. I think he's only affiliated with federal bar associations and never state bar associations. There was some contradicting information there. Anyways, that's basically all I wanted to say was that that was a confusing situation. I'm not too sure where that lies. And, you know, if I got it wrong, I got it wrong. Next is, you know, if you troll my page, you're going to get blocked. Do you have zero self-control? Like if my phone's blowing up because, you know, sometimes the app's notifications are on and usually mine's not but I some I got to get on there to deal with certain things and so if I've got so many freaking notifications that somebody put I don't know 10 or 15 comments on one of my posts one of my posts that's pinned to the top of my page then I'm gonna get really freaking annoyed I don't care how much I may care about you as a person I do not appreciate being harassed or trolled on my social media or on my phone or like Nobody comes to my door and does that to me because I would probably lose my shit. I expect it somewhat because people have a right to say whatever they want, but I won't tolerate it on my page and I will not tolerate being blown up. Like, say what you gotta say, but don't harass me. It's like calling someone's phone number over and over again. And we call that psycho calling in my family and it's not acceptable behavior. If you want to bitch me out, email me at fringewithbenefits at protonmail.com and I will have that discussion with you privately. My Facebook, my Instagram, my Twitter pages, or any other socials, business or personal, are not your personal forum to share your feelings and rants. That's what your page is for. So if you notice that maybe you can't see any of my pages anymore or you've, you've probably been blocked, it's for my sanity and not to censor you. I will remove you from my site. I will not advocate for you to be silenced like you do to me. And I will not report you to the Gestapo or call anyone on you about your speech. Okay? So let's just leave it at that. Follow the show's social medias at www.inwardsurvival.com get on the mailing list facebook you've got fringe with benefits page inward survival's page the fan page at stacy leo sorio find me on twitter find me on patreon 
Find me on not the bee, Instagram, MeWe, Parlor, Gab, and Minds. I have to stop doing this. I am on Rumble and BitChute. Those are great alternatives opposed to YouTube. I've told you guys this before, but you can follow me on YouTube as well. Go subscribe to the Fringe with Benefits Telegram channel. It is linked below. If you listen to Apple Podcasts, go give me a rating and review. Share the show. Screw the disclaimer. <laughs> Everything's good there. Go visit Fringe with Benefits anchor homepage linked below click the support the show button thank you again to our subscribers love you guys i appreciate the support i'm really excited about the mailbag this week i put a post out there asking people about supernatural stories and people just love talking about this stuff so i've got a ton a ton one in particular that i'm going to start with this week is from a a Maori, a Viking out of New Zealand. This guy's been really cool. He's, you know, we've been talking on Facebook chat and he decided to send me a private message. I did get his permission to share this. So if he's listening now, thank you so much. I am honored to tell your supernatural story or stories, plural actually. And the way he tells it is really raw and had me on the edge of my seat for sure. So this is what he said. I just saw your post about supernatural things. My cousin is like 15 years older than me and has five sons. They are younger than me. The oldest is about five years younger than me. The youngest is probably about 12 years younger. My cousin and I are close. I've been talking to her boys over the years and hanging out with them occasionally. They've always lived in different towns or regions to me. Last year, I was talking about her boys to my mom. He says mom. (laughs) His mom. I asked her where they all live now, and they're adults, so she told me about the oldest ones. I asked her where Nathaniel is living now. She looked surprised and said, well, what do you mean? I said, I want to know where Nathaniel is living and if he's married. My mom told me he died as a baby. I couldn't believe it. I had some big trauma when I was a kid. I don't remember much of my childhood. I said to her every time all the boys visit, I catch up with him too. I cried when she told me. It was like he never left and I only lost him now. So I'm like, holy shit, he tells me that. He said, you know, I asked him a question, you know, like, you remember him growing up in your memories? And he said, yeah, that he never knew he was dead, that he would talk with him and hang out. And the last time he had seen him, he was an adult. He said it's been about seven years at his grandfather's funeral, my mom's older brother. I've seen a lot of things over the years that cannot be explained. I died in a car accident in 1995. I left my body and went somewhere else. So at this point, I'm like, holy crap, tell me more. I asked him, do you think it was the real Nathaniel or that you were meeting with or your mind's concept of him as he grew? And he said that he believed it was him. My mom's grandmother, who passed away, who passed long before I was born, would sit on my bed at night when I was little and sing old Maori songs to me quietly. We're going to redact some really personal traumatic experience from what he told me. Because even though it's absolutely significant and it's just very personal. So we'll leave that part out. But the fascinating part is that he comes from the soil in New Zealand, and his family. He says his family is quite spiritual. My auntie and uncle live out in the bush on family land. 
no power or phones. Whenever there was a death in the family, my auntie always had the house prepared for the body to arrive without being told. We have a native owl tied to our family history. It's called Aruru. Usually the day before someone in our family died, Aruru would come down during the day and sit by the front door singing his tune to my auntie. In 2002, I was fishing with my ex-girlfriend in the middle of the bush with no cell phone coverage. It was during the day I had Aruru come and sit by me and start singing quietly. My ex didn't hear it, and the next day my older brother died halfway across the country. I asked him to tell me about his near-death experience, or basically when he died, and this is what he said. It was late October here, which is spring cold, wet night, and we were drinking down a river with our girlfriends. I was 19. My girlfriend got her monthly, so we had to go back to town. We planned on staying the night. We were in a in a V8 hot rod, and I was in the back. My mate was driving and just went crazy. We flew off a 60-foot cliff at around 100 miles per hour. I had been yelling at him to slow down, but he was drunk as fuck, I saw the massive tree we crashed into, which actually stopped us from landing in the water. We dropped 60 feet. I remember opening the door and running as fast as I could. It was twilight. Where we crashed, there were no native trees. It was rural, but it was willow, oaks, poplar. As I was running, I couldn't hear anything, and a massive wave of darkness came around me like a blanket. I kept running. Slowly, a light appeared in the distance. It was kind of like looking at a really bright LED spotlight without my eyes hurting. I'm still running as fast as I can. And then something strange happened. I started seeing silhouettes of our large native ferns and punga leaves as I was running towards the light. I couldn't feel them touching my body though. He said this running went on for what I thought about was thought was 10 maybe 15 minutes. When I almost reached the light, I heard a man's voice say, you're going the wrong way. It was loud, but not deafening, but kind of like thunder and everywhere. I stopped. I turned around, and I was looking at the car from behind a tree stump. I was crouched, kind of like hiding from someone. It was still twilight. All the doors were still closed. He continues. He says it was still raining. I blinked, and it was nighttime. I was on top of the 60-foot cliff with my friend's girlfriend. She was crying. And we were standing in the rain in the dark. I was trying to comfort her. I could see down the road and there was a house with lights on. I told her we can walk down there and get some help. A van pulled up and told us to lay in the back. They would call emergency services. I tried to explain that there were two people still in the car, but I couldn't hear them. My friend's girlfriend begged me to lay down with her, so I agreed. Lots of ambulances, fire trucks, and the cops turned up. They asked us to climb out. That's when my friend's girlfriend got out and I couldn't move. I was paralyzed from my lower back down. I had broken my back. She has no memory from where before we were up on the road. A police guy who filmed the scene was friends with my folks, and he said they couldn't work out how her and I got almost a vertic- up a vertical cliff in the wet. They needed abseiling gear to get down and bring the other two up. I had an inch of swelling on the top of my skull, probably from headbutting the roof of the car. I was the worst hurt, and the other were out of the hospital in a couple of days. It was about a week in the hospital, and I started getting feeling back in my toes. And then he asked me about my dream when I told him about my my reoccurring dream. Maybe I'll share sometime. Maybe I won't. 
And he shares some other things. And what an incredible person. And thank you so much, Viking from New Zealand. I appreciate your story. I'm absolutely blown away by your experiences. And you've led an amazing life as well as your ancestral lineage is an amazing life. So God bless you down there. So if you have any good stories or you just want to tell me about something that's haunting you, some poltergeist activity, I guess right now would also be a good time to throw in the fact that a friend of mine, I'll say her name, Twyla, started Grace Harbor Ghost Hunters. So my daughter and I and my boyfriend, we are all honorary, I guess, investigators. My daughter's an investigator in training, but I am actual investigator. So we've done one ghost hunt so far, and it was in an old Victorian house that had had some activity in it. We didn't have our field journal, so we didn't journal any of it, but it was a pretty funny, interesting experience. She has gotten like all the gear and all the little tools and everything that we need. We've got business cards, we've got shirts, we've got our meeting coming up. So go check out grazeharborghosthunters.com. And you can find us on Facebook. The weekly topic this week, I'm just going to throw it down and lay it on you. We're going to talk about Project Blue Beam. My boyfriend sent me this website with this article and I just freaking had to share it because they just kind of throw it all out there. It's linked below and it's got some links to all kinds of, you know, videos and documentary type footage of people talking and what this is all about. So basically, Project Bluebeam is a four-step process that has the result of a one-world government. If you've noticed, a lot of the most recent wars involved countries who did not have who did not have ties to the Rothschilds banking system, the World Bank. And this is not by coincidence. It's done to create a one-world currency under a new world order premise. The four steps of Project Bluebeam. Step 1 requires the breakdown of our all archaeological knowledge. Hey guys, notice that all of our archaeological knowledge about giants and those kind of things, we don't know about it because they freaking hidden it from us. So basically, that's step 1 of Project Bluebeam. This will apparently be accomplished by faking earthquakes at precise locations around the planet fake new discoveries at these locations, it will finally explain to all the people the error of all the fundamental religious doctrines, specifically the Christian and Muslim religions. Step two involves a gigantic space show where three-dimensional holographic laser projections will be beamed all over the planet. This is where Blue Beam will take off. The projections will take the shape of whatever deity is most prominent and will speak in all languages. At the end of this light show, the gods will all merge into one god, the Antichrist. Don't blame me, that's what this says. Step three is the telepathic electronic two-way communication. This involves making people think their god is speaking to them through telepathy, projected into the head of each person individually using extremely low frequency radio waves. Step four has three parts. One, making humanity think an alien invasion is about to occur at every major city. Two, making Christians think the rapture is about to happen. And three, a mixture of electronic and supernatural forces, allowing these supernatural forces to travel through fiber optics, coax, cable, power, and telephone lines to penetrate all electronic equipment and appliances. 
then chaos will break out and people will finally be willing to or even desperate enough to accept this new one world government. The techniques used in the fourth step is exactly what is the same used in the past in the USSR to force the people to accept communism. David Icke calls this process the totalitarian tiptoe, where civil liberties are gradually relinquished in favor of government protection from issues that they initially created. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? For example, after 9-11, United States citizens cried to their government officials for protection, resulting in the Patriot Act. That took away numerous civil liberties in the name of protection, and it has further snowballed into the National Defense Authorization Act. It was written in a way where any U.S. citizen could not only be detained and questioned without any legal representation, they could also be killed without questioning. This was written under the guise of protecting us from terrorism. It's no coincidence that our skies are being lambasted with chemtrails, which contain barium niobate. Barium niobate is a critical element used in the 3D technology of creating holographics and specifically mentioned in the U.S. Army's Research Lab Adelphi report from November 1996 through August 1997 titled, 3D holographic display using strontium barium niobate. That's accession number ADA338490, published February 1998. The abstract for this publication specifically states the following, quote, An innovative technique for generating a three-dimensional holographic display using strontium barium niobate, SBN, is discussed. Now, we all heard about the contrails versus the chemtrail thing, There's reasons why you've never seen a chemtrail or any picture or featured film before 1980. It's because they didn't actually have them back then. A contrail is the normal discharge from a jet airliner. Uh, They call it condensated water. It's the little short white steam clouds. They disappear quickly. But chemtrails are chemically induced trails that were dismissed originally by the government as condensation trails, but later they admitted that they were being used in weather modification projects. A chemtrail starts out in a similar fashion as a contrail, except it doesn't dissipate. It stays in the atmosphere and expands, clouding up the skies. We've all seen it, everybody. One of the key ingredients in these trails, as evidenced in numerous water samples, is barium. In various forms, as mentioned, barium is the key ingredient in holographic technology. Dr. Carol Rosen warns us about the weaponization of space through her professional relationship with ex-Nazi scientists. There's a video below. She actually professionally knew Dr. Werner Braun Braun, who warned her about the following threats that would be created as false flags in the U.S. government. Quote, they are inventing enemies... Von Braun said, against whom they are going to build this space-based weapon system, the first of whom was the Russians, which was existing at the time. Then there would be terrorists. Then there would be a third world countries. Now we call them rogue nations or nations of concern. Then there would be asteroids. And he would repeat to me over and over, and the last card, the last card would be extraterrestrial threat. You will find that there is going to be a spin to find some enemy against whom we have to build a space-based weapon, and now we should expect this spin. So we've got the space-based weapon system, Reagan's Star Wars program, Space Force, terrorist threat, 9-11, third world countries, North Korea, 
Asteroid threat. Elenin, while not classified as an asteroid, the apparent government psyops would assimilate Elenin in this category. Extraterrestrial threat to be announced. And he brings up the Tupac hologram. You guys remember the Coachella show where he shows up as a, a hologram and it was just freaking insane how amazing and how real it looked? Next would be Michael Jackson in 2014. He was used as a hologram at the Billboard Music Awards and it was good. Like, it looked like him. Operation Osiris, September 7th, 2003, all emergency services and members of London Underground took part in Operation Osiris at Bank Tube Station. The hypothetical scenario was a chemical attack on the underground. Why would they call it Operation Osiris? Well, Osiris was an Egyptian god, usually called the god of the afterlife. He is one of the oldest gods for whom records have been found. One of the oldest known attestations of his name is on the Palermo stone of around 2500 BC. He was widely worshipped and the suppression of the Egyptian religion during the Christian era is huge. The most commonly encountered family relationship describes Horus as the son of Isis and Osiris. Both Horus and Osiris were resurrected by Isis with the help from Toth, after being killed by Set, the evil brother of Osiris. One legend, Osiris's body is cut into pieces and scattered throughout Egypt. Isis set out to look for the pieces and she was able to find and put together 13 of the 14 parts, was unable to find the 14th and the most important part. Guess what it was? His penis. But instead, she made a phallus out of gold and sang a song around Osiris until he came back to life. So now he's got a gold dick. Thus, Osiris was resurrected, and so it was Isis conceived Horus. Due to this experience, Osiris became the lord of the dead and the afterlife. The obelisk, which is the Washington Monument, and basically we see them all over the place, it's a representation of the erect male penis, and it stands for power, potency, the virile male. Pharaohs of later dynasties switched their obelisk erecting affections to Osiris, the god of the earth, the vegetation and the Nile flood that gave life to all Egypt, the god of rebirth, the god of the underworld, of life and death. The obelisk at the Vatican is surrounded by a circle. This obelisk is the point where the circle representing the union of Osiris and Isis after erecting Caligula's obelisk in St. Peter's Square in 1586, Pope Sixtus V exercised it, consecrated it, and surmounted it with a holy cross. Before the record, the Washington Monument obelisk is the tallest in the world. It is 6,666 inches high and 666 inches wide along each side at the base. These numbers are not a coincidence. When you trace who owns all the mainstream media, you will find certain people at the top. Keep in mind that the cabinet, the presidential cabinet, are elitist cabinets. They're selected, not elected. And whether Project Bluebeam is scheduled to occur this year or any time in the near future, their plans seem to be evolving. I mean, look around. He says that while Project Blue Book Beam would be f a fascinating show to those who know what it's all about, the end result will not be pretty if fully employed, resulting in a one-world government, army, banking system, and religion. 
As evidenced by numerous high-ranking military officials during the Disclosure Project, there are many benevolent extraterrestrials who are watching over us and are protecting the planet from these types of tyranny and oppression. He says that in the end, he doesn't think Project Bluebeam will ever come to fruition because of these benevolent extraterrestrials. But it's still progressing and it's still on course to continue on. Just the mere exposing of this material could be enough to deter plans or prevent those plans from happening. In the event that something major occurs, you will at least understand why it's happening and that you will be an integral part of the debunking of the end results for the New World Order plan that will inevitably fall. This was written by Greg. He says he's sending all of his infinite love and light. He has a master's in science, it looks like. He's the founder and editor of IN5D, Mind, Body, Mind, Soul, Spirit. He can find his radio shows on his YouTube channel. He says he's a visionary author, transformational speaker, promotes spiritual and metaphysical and esoteric conferences in the U.S. through his events. He has a lot of love and faith for humanity, and he's really, really freaking on it. So good on you, Greg, for writing this article and warning people that they have this technology and they, they wouldn't fucking once hesitate to use it. And so we need to be keeping an eye out for that stuff. Guest spot this week, we're going to revisit Abigail Schreier. So I'm on her mailing list, and she put out an article or just a, a just a quick little hello to talk about a story that she had written about her line of investigative reporting that which she's been working on. So I'm just going to go read through this for you. On Monday, I published probably the most important piece of my career thus far, an interview I did with two top gender medical providers, vaginoplasty expert and gender surgeon Dr. Marcy Bowers and child psychologist at the UCSF Gender Clinic, Erica Anderson. They spoke candidly about risks of certain treatment protocols guiding transgender medicine. They said that for the first time in the U.S., top gender medical providers Providers collectively acknowledged four facts. Early puberty blockade can lead to significant surgical complications and also permanent sexual dysfunction. Peer and social media influence do seem to play a role in encouraging the current unprecedented spike in identification by teen girls. And the World Professional Association of Transgender Health, of which both Bowers Anderson are both board members, have been excluding doctors who question current medical protocols to its detriment bombshell right these people came forward and said yes there's something wrong here now there's this thing called orgasmic naivete that if you treat kids with hormone blockers during puberty that there's a chance that they've never had an an orgasm that they may never have one according to dr bauer's words she says that when you block puberty the problem is that with a lot of kids are orgasmically naive so in other words if you've never had an orgasm pre-surgery then your puberty is blocked it's very difficult to achieve it afterwards and i think that i consider that a big problem actually It's kind of an overlooked problem that in our informed consent of children undergoing puberty blockers, we've in some respects overlooked that a little bit. A little bit. And wouldn't you say that that's a pretty important thing? And wouldn't you say that, you know, if you're treating these kids with like affirmative treatment and and just giving them whatever they think that they want or need, 
because they might be mentally ill enough to want to kill themselves that it's to help treat their their mental illness then um what do you think that killing their ability to ever have an orgasm or ever to climax is going to do to their mental health i would i would be pissed you know i wake up you know 25 27 can't figure out why i can't have an orgasm Oh, it's because mom let me get on freaking testosterone when I was 13 because I thought I knew what I wanted to do. Basically, Abigail Schreier is, she's doing incredible work as a journalist. She's written a ton of articles and she's written a book on this. And I also want to point out that Anderson, the other doctor that came forward, she said that rapid onset gender dysphoria is not an accepted diagnosis. They've acknowledged that a population of teen girls are claiming to be transgender. Suddenly, it may be a very different population from typical patients of gender dysphoria. Anderson goes on to say, I think that it's a really important question to ask, are these different kids first? And if they are, should we be treating them differently than early presenters, the children who well before puberty asserted gender different than what we thought they had? And that it's an open question, and you've written about this. I have a copy of your book. I've read most of your book. He's, she's talking to Abigail Schreier, by the way. And she said, you raising an, you're raising an interesting question. Is there something going on with our teenage girls? And the answer I would give is yes. Do we need to know what it is precisely? No. So there is an, a, a narrative being played out in this culture and there's a lot of social media influence here and there's a lot of important information so i suggest you guys get on her mailing list especially if this is something that's in your life and things that you're dealing with totally need to be keeping an eye on this so good on her and i will be following that very closely she is the definition of a true journalist very talented Next is the Warrior Battalion event, November 13th, 2021, Veterans Day weekend, Aberdeen, Washington. See the links below for donations or if you want to get tickets. All veteran attendance, of course, is free of charge. You just show up and be a part of it. It is to bring awareness to veteran suicide and to, to embrace our community and to show support for our veterans. You can send raffle donations to P.O. Box 195, Hoquiam, Washington, 98550. And you can send checks by mail. Just make sure you make them out to Warrior Battalion. Once again, that's P.O. Box 195, Hoquiam, Washington, 98550. Come out and let's rock. Let's do it for, the, for our soldiers, our men and women. Inward Survival School of Magic, we're going to talk about self-control. Who has problems with self-control? Shit, I think everybody has problems with self-control. And that is why it's really, it's, it's an accomplishment to be able to exercise self-discipline and self-control. Everybody has a different term for it. It could be determination, grit, willpower, fortitude, self-control. Psychologists typically define it as the ability to control behaviors in order to avoid temptations and to achieve goals. The ability to delay gratification and resist unwanted behaviors or urges. A limited resource that can be depleted. 
Some researchers believe that self-control is partly determined by genetics. 2011 Stress in America survey conducted by the American Psychological Association found that 27% of respondents identified a lack of willpower as a primary factor keeping them from reaching their goals. The majority of people surveyed, 71%, believe that self-control can both be learned and strengthened. Researchers have found that people who have better self-control tend to be healthier and happier, both in the short term and the long term. One famous 2005 experiment, students who exhibited greater self-discipline had better grades, higher test scores, were more likely to be admitted to academic programs, and they found that when it came to academic success, self-control was a more important factor than IQ. Interesting. The benefits of self-control are not limited to academics, though. One long-term health study found that high levels of self-control during childhood predicted greater cardiovascular, respiratory, and dental health in adulthood, as well as improved financial status. Delaying gratification involves the putting off of short-term desires in favor of long-term rewards. Researchers have found that the ability to delay gratification is important not only for attaining goals, but for well-being and overall success in life. Psychologist Walter Mischel conducted a series of famous experiments through the 1960s and 70s that investigated the importance of delayed gratifications. These experiments, children were offered a choice. They could eat one treat right away, a cookie or a marshmallow, or they could wait a brief period of time in order to get two snacks. At this point, the researchers could leave the child alone in a room with a single treat. Not surprisingly, many of the kids chose to eat it once they left the room but some kids were able to wait for the second treat. Researchers found that children who were able to delay their gratification in order to receive a greater reward were more likely to have better academic performance than the ones who gave in to temptation immediately. So I'm definitely the one with the crappy grades who needed the, the gratification right then and right now. <laughs> but I've been paying for it my whole life. I have been paying for my lack of self-control in the earlier part of my life. And that's why I really believe it's an important thing. And I, I hope that I can um, get this across to my kids now so they don't have to suffer as much as I have. And that's why I'm telling everybody about this right now. <laughs> Based on this guy's research, Michel proposed that he referred to what he referred to as a hot and cool system to explain the ability to delay gratification. The hot system refers to the part of our willpower that is emotional, impulsive, and urges to act upon our desires. I'm raising my hand if you can't see me. When this system takes over, we may give in to our momentary desires and act rashly without considering the long-term effects. The cool system is part of our willpower that is rational, thoughtful, and enables us to consider the consequences of our actions in order to resist these impulses. The cool system helps us look for ways to distract us from our urges and find more appropriate ways to deal with our desires. Research found that self-control is a limited research. Long-term, exercising self-control tends to strengthen it. Practicing it allows you to improve over time. Self-control in the short term is limited. When you focus all your self-control on one thing, it makes it more difficult to exercise your self-control on subsequent tasks throughout your day. Psychologists refer to this as ego depletion. This is when people use up their reservoir of willpower on one task, making them unable to muster any other willpower to complete the next one. They found that self-control can have a number of potential influences on health and well-being. 
One study found that adults who had greater self-control in childhood were less likely to have, get this, substance dependence or addiction to tobacco, alcohol, or cannabis, sexually transmitted infections, elevated inflammation, periodontal disease, airflow obstruction, metabolic abnormalities. While it's clear that self-control is critical for maintaining healthy behaviors, some experts believe that overemphasizing the importance of willpower can be damaging. The belief that self-control alone can help us reach our goals to, can lead to people to blame themselves when their health is influenced by factors beyond their control. And this can lead to feelings of learned helplessness where people will feel like they can't do anything to change a situation. People may give up quickly and stop trying in the face of such obstacles. Researcher and psychologist Roy Baumeister said, Lack of willpower is not the only factor that affects the goal attainment. If you're working towards a goal, three critical components must be present. One, there needs to be a clear goal and the motivation to change. Two, you need to track your actions towards the achievement of the goal. Just simply not set, setting the goal is not enough. You need to monitor your behavior. And like I tell you all the time, journal, write it down. Write down what, you know, what you did and what you need to do better next time. And then three, you need to have willpower. You have to be able to control your behavior. That is a critical part of achieving any goal. Research suggests that there are steps people can take to make the most of their willpower. Research has found that planning ahead can improve the willpower. You can actually find distractions that will help you. And your control might have been depleted in the short term, but regularly engaging in these behaviors, which means practicing, will improve your willpower over time. Think of self-control as a muscle. Over time, you continue to work it, it gets stronger. Setting a lot of goals at once could be an ineffective practice. That will deplete your willpower. That will cause ego depletion. But if you choose one thing and take care of one thing at a time, like my mom always says, just one step at a time, baby steps, and you can focus your energy much better that way. Another thing you can do is meditation. That will greatly help you. It will help you learn how to be more self-aware so you can resist temptations. This can help you also slow your thoughts and help you control any impulses getting in the way. Lack of self-control can have adverse effects to your self-esteem, your education, your career, your finances, your relationships, your health and well-being. You have to remind yourself of these consequences and that will help you stay motivated as you work towards it. I think that this is a daily maintenance for every single person to be able to maintain the behaviors that they admire in themselves or that they see in other people that that's what they want their life to be like. You have to practice those things and we all can achieve what we dream. Our stoic thought of the week goes to the utilitarian himself, John Stuart Mill. If all mankind minus one were of one opinion, mankind would be no more justified in silencing that one person than he if he had the power, would be justified in silencing mankind. There is an imaginary circle drawn around every human being, over which no government should be able to step. 
And last, liberty lies in the rights of that person whose views you find most odious. Have a great week, everybody. Thanks for joining us at Fringe with Benefits.